Shalom and welcome to the Ishai Fleischer Show, broadcasting live this week from Vienna, Vienna, Austria. Wiedersehen, everybody. I know it's hard to hear that. You're used to hearing Shalom, but we're saying a Wiedersehen today. And with the help of God, we will broadcast today a little bit from here from Central Europe. And if you're wondering what I'm doing here, First thing what I'm doing here is saying hi to you. And second thing, I'm broadcasting for the Land of Israel Network. But if you are wondering what I'm doing here in Vienna, I'm on a media uh, and uh, fundraising seminar. I'm learning from this amazing organization called the Leadership Institute, who brought out uh, right-wingers and conservatives uh, from all walks of life, from all kinds of places from around the world. There's, there's uh, Muslims from Albania here. There's a guy in the opposition party in Albania. There's all kinds of interesting folks from uh, Slovaks and Slovenes and, uh, and all kinds of, you know, uh, all kinds of folks, French-speaking folks, Australians, and they're all here in Vienna learning how to do our craft better, how to get our message out better. In any case, uh, it is no doubt... A little bit tricky to be in Vienna, and as I was walking to my hotel, I saw a plaque. Something caught my eye. I looked up, and I saw the word Juden, and I looked up, and, and indeed, uh, it was a, it's a school, and that school is where 500 Jews, Hungarian Jews, were interned, uh, interred, no, interned. Uh, they were kept there uh, during the war, but they were all basically taken out and killed, including a lot of children, murdered. Murdered by the Nazis. There was a little sign on a, on a school that's there today. So I, so I was just walking past the building where 500 Jews were taken out and, and murdered. And uh, just, just to be in a place like this is very tricky. And my beloved wife, Malka, just had a very hard time swallowing that I'm going to Vienna, Austria. She was just like, what are you doing in Vienna, Austria? But on the other hand, um, Vienna uh, is an interesting city. It's a lively city. It's a, it's a pretty city, and it's a well-functioning city. I love cities with, with good subways, with, with good uh, travel systems, and indeed, this town has that, so that's a lot of fun. You just get around. There's a lot to see here. And last night, I uh, took the subway, indeed, uh, to town, right? And in town, I went to see the central part of town, the second district, uh, the Jewish area, the Jewish kind of... Uh, it's not a ghetto here. It was just the Jewish part of town where the shuls are, and... Uh, and I, I went and I prayed at the Satmar Shul. And it was full of Jews, full of ultra-Orthodox Jews, the Satmar variety. And what can I tell you? First thing, it was, it was, how can I say to you? It was really fun. It was just so fun to be in a place where Yiddish makes sense. Where Yiddish makes sense. And... Um, just to see them kind of in their native habitat. One time, uh, I flew to St. Petersburg, which used to be called Leningrad, and St. Petersburg before that, right, and um, where my mother was born, uh, and, and my father and mother, my father was born in Tashkent, but my mother was born in St. Petersburg, at the time it was Leningrad, and I saw Chabad there, right, I saw, I saw the Chabad movement, and guess what? I never saw them in their natural habitat. They, they were so kind of perfectly fitting, um, what you kind of expect, what Chabad is kind of wh wh where their origins are, it's in Russia, right? And when you, when, you, when you think about Yiddish, you're like, wait a minute, Yiddish is from German. And here I am in Austria, and even as I walk now, I could feel the footsteps of the past. I could feel the Jews as they used to live here, and not so far away from here is Budapest and, and other important uh, European capitals, Prague. It's really not so far away from here. 
And this was also the seat of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And so it's a city of empires also. You could feel that it was, uh, that it was the seat of something at once upon a time. Um, not so long ago, really. And, you know, Freud is from here. And, uh, and Herzl is from here. And, uh, and the composers, uh, Mahler and Schoenberg, all kinds of important folks, Jewish folks, are from here. And there's a lot of, lot of history in this town. So I'm in the Satmar Synagogue yesterday, and you're probably thinking just yourself, so I put up a picture on my um, Instagram and my Facebook page also of uh, me praying at the Satmar Synagogue. And some people wrote to me saying, like, how could you possibly like, pray with folks who are against the very values that you believe in, which is the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel? So, so the first thing is, you know, sometimes I can give you an intellectual answer, but em- the emotional answer is I felt right at home. <laughs> I felt right at home to be with the Satmar in Vienna. What does it mean at home? It's not my home home, but I felt fine. I felt really good. And I, and I, and I wrote down a few thoughts about why yours truly, your friend Yishai, would feel good in a Satmar synagogue in Vienna. First thing is that, that we have to understand that the process of return to Zion, Shivat Zion, this, this period that we're living in, the great ingathering of the exiles, was... Um, on the one hand, a movement that had, like all movements, intellectual movements, ha- had roots and had beginnings and, and actually was always alive in the Jewish people, the will to return to the land of Israel. Uh, and so, you know, on the one hand, it was staggered and, and, and process, right? But on the other hand, it was very quick. The changeover from diaspora life to a serious, full-blown Zionist movement really happened... Uh, in the wake of the Holocaust. And so, a world was destroyed, and a world was born. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's a little bit like Lahavdil. I don't know why, why I just thought this thought, but it's a little bit like Rachel, right? It's like the birth of Binyamin, the first Jew to be born in the land of Israel, and yet it's the death of our mother, Rachel. And so, that, that, the fastness the, the speed at which the transition took place means that in some way we didn't really get a chance to say goodbye to the diaspora life and to negotiate the next stage of Jewish life, Jewish renewal. Remember, folks, diaspora life, and many of you who are listening live in the diaspora. That's something that existed for 2,000 years. And the return to Zion is something that has, uh, it's, you know, basically less than 100 years old. You could count it in different ways, but on full bloom, Zionism and return to Zion is really 100 years old. And so, so it makes sense to me that there are going to be parts of the Jewish people who have not caught up with that new reality. And when I went to pray yesterday uh, with the Satmar of Vienna, I was thrown back into an old world. I was thrown back into an old world which, in a small, small way, still exists. And it is a gift for us to be able to touch the past, to see it, and to see that there's a transition. Okay? So that was one of my paradigms, one of my frameworks of understanding uh, Satmar in Vienna, and, and also being able to, uh, how, how I felt good there was, one of my paradigms was, 
it was good as a modern Israeli, as a Jew born in the land, and as a Jew believing in, in the nationalism, the, the nationalistic idea, the rebirth of Jewish strength and the, the rebirth of Jewish nationalism, to meet the past and to meet Jewish diaspora and to touch it, to shake its hand and to kind of feel better about it. Instead of it being a cut from the old world, it is, it is a more, you know, a more um, natural and, and uh, a more gentle transition. And so in that sense, I was thankful that I was able to, to connect with the past. That's one, that's one paradigm. Another thing is to understand that, that these folks, uh, the, 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 the good Sodmar folks in Vienna, are the end of the Galut. Nobody now is concerned, nobody really fears that there's going to be a mass movement from Israel to Vienna. Yes, there was a lot of Russian Jews that moved to Germany. Yes, there are all kinds of phenomena in terms of the Jewish diaspora existence. But nobody thinks that, that Austrian Jewry is going to become the next big thing. And in fact, I was just watching an Israeli news program, and it was all about um, it was all about how British Jews are fleeing England because it's no longer comfortable. There is deep anti-Semitism. Of course, the, the, there's always been deep anti-Semitism rooted in in the British upper crust, but now, together with the uh, striking arm of uh, British anti-Semitism, which is the jihad. You have a perfect combination. So people are leaving. People are simply leaving. It's in the government and it's on the streets. Anti-Semitism. So they're leaving. So what we're talking about here, basically, is the end of the diaspora. We're talking about the end of diaspora. So to see it is not to see something that's threatening to me. It's almost like... Wow, I've walked into a museum. Now, you may wonder, what about the actual people? Because people aren't a museum. People are real people. Yes, yes. But you know what? They have their way. They're succeeding in their way. They're still alive. Um, and I'm just going to bless them. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to connect them. And I'm not going to be nervous about it. Because in no way do they threaten the big project of Jewish nationalism, the rebirth of Jewish strength, and, 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 and the, the return to the, to the land and the, and the commandments of the land and closeness to God. Okay, so that was another paradigm, which is that they are the end of the galut. And that they are no threat. So, interestingly enough, when I, when I got back home to my hotel room uh, here in Vienna, in a different part of town, I had to take the subway. The subways are very clean. I really, I really like a good subway. And it's, you know, it's like New York City in that sense. I, I like a good subway in Israel. We don't have any cities with a good subway system. Uh, and uh, even the mass, uh, the, the, the light rail in Jerusalem is really one line. So it's fun to be in a real kind of, you know, developed city. Uh, when I got back to my hotel room, I did what uh, any Israeli would do, which is I went to YouTube and, on, my, on my laptop, and guess what I did? I watched the Israeli newscast from the day. And one of the things that was happening on the newscast was quite painful. What was happening was that there was Haredi ultra-Orthodox black hat Jews protesting in the streets of Bnei Brak. And the police was reacting to their protest that they were blocking streets with these water uh, cannons coming from a water cannon type uh, vehicle and even personal water cannons that are being carried on people's backs and they're being spritzed mercilessly. Uh, of course, they're not getting, it's, not, it's a non-lethal uh, weapon, but it is a, an unpleasant thing. And on the other hand, they're also acting unpleasantly towards the police 
and uh, they are uh, out there decrying the imprisonment of one young yeshiva bacher who was supposed to go to the army, was, was drafted, but somehow he didn't reply properly. I don't know exactly the details. The bottom line is that there is a ton of ultra-Orthodox Jews sitting on the ground, blocking traffic. Police are spritzing them all about going to the army. And basically, instead of being here in Vienna, where they're kind of in their natural mode, they're in Israel. And they are at a completely different speed than the speed of uh, the state of Israel, right? They're not in a place of Jewish nationalism. In their mind, they're all in the galut, in, in the exile. And moreover, they're not into Israeli culture. They're not buying into the media. I don't mean media exactly. I mean, I mean they don't buy into the look and feel, into the package, into the marketing of the state of Israel. It's just not their brand. That's the way I understand it. I understand in terms of branding. It's like, it's not their philosophy. It's not their branding. It's not their media. They have, they have, they have uh, uh, created their own branding, their own media, their own uh, uh, c- consumption of, of entertainment for children and all kinds of stuff. They don't read our papers, right? They don't read the regular Israeli papers. And they are, um, they're in a different speed and different time. And, and I saw in Israel, and it was so obvious on the television, how, what a mode of... Um, conflict they're in and how they're trying in their mind to resist in their mind this juggernaut of the state of Israel taking them out of their Vienna so when I'm here and I'm coming to kind of pray in a minion and I'm coming into their veldt into their world then it makes perfect sense. It's just an Israeli who's traveling and okay and I'm not bothering them and I'm not giving them a hard time but when they're in Israel, they're subject to uh, the state, the laws. And uh, if, if they were subject to these kind of laws from a Gentile state, they would surely follow it or find, find ways around it, but they wouldn't protest like this. So they feel a certain comfort to do, to do pretty you know, violent and intense protests, although within the framework of democracy, I may add. Uh, on the other hand, you know, to see Jews fighting like this because of the privilege of being able to fight like this is very, very unpleasant. And to me, it contrasted so powerfully with with me being just a few hours, an hour or two beforehand uh, in a synagogue in Vienna with these very same people. It's almost like, like, oh, out here they make sense. Out there, it doesn't make sense. Out here, speaking Yiddish and wearing a strimal and all that, okay. You know, it's, it kinda, it's kind of from here. But over there, it's, it's not, it doesn't exactly fit. And on the other hand, I'm sure that, that if they'd hear my words right now, they'd say, what do you mean? We've, we're, the, we're the classic Jews. Who are these, you know, non-kosher uh, eating, you know, no people wearing folks telling us, you know, how we should, we should be Jewish and what, what it is to have a Jewish state? Like, who are you to say that? And so um, the galut exists, the exile exists very peacefully in the exile. But the exile in liberated, renewed Jewish state, which is not an Orthodox Jewish state, uh, is, is uh, conflict-ridden. And I guess I'm just putting it out there. I don't have any resolution. I think that's exactly what I'm, I don't have any resolution other than to hope for uh, a resolution in time. In time, meaning to say, um, you know, 
one of one of the resolutions I'll give you an example of of what I saw, which was clearly a resolution, which was one of their spokesmen, uh, the ultra orthodox spokesman, was speaking in the Israeli news, and he was speaking in very very Israeli Hebrew. One of the things that that is well known is that the the ultra orthodox today are in many ways becoming more Israeli, much more Israeli in their language and and in other mannerisms. And there's oftentimes a discussion about about how they can matriculate into the modern state of Israel better. Uh, so there is definitely an you know, there, there there is a movement within the ultra orthodox to yes uh, uh, become more part of the, the Israeli fabric of life, if not to become like regular Israelis, still ultra orthodox, but more you know more involved in work and and figure out some some some. Uh, some legal understanding with the with the army, and there's a constant battle in Israel about this constant battle. But maybe it's going towards the right direction. Still, though, um, it would be good if we could insinuate a little bit more, instill a little bit more love between Jews. Love between Jews. Interestingly enough, another thing happened yesterday uh, when I was in the, in the synagogue, the Sabmar synagogue, is that a young man who turns out was a secular type Israeli, or traditional, but, but secular traditional Israeli, who became a, a Baal Tshuva, returned to Judaism through the ultra-Orthodox movement, kind of got in arguments with me. And very loud. He was very kind of argumentative. But he was a sweet boy. He loved Jews. He, he, he loves Jews. He loves Torah. But he doesn't understand the religious Zionist middle ground. Drove him crazy. To you know that I wouldn't uh, decry the state of Israel, really the government of Israel, as being some kind of evil kingdom. I said to him, "That's absurd," and I explained to him my position, and it really drove him. It was really hard for him, but we talked for a long time, and then finally, I just you know we I, I said, "Okay, we're done. <laughs> we we've uh, we've aired out each other's points. That's fine. Let, let's let's go on." And I blessed him that he would come back to Israel. Right now, he's in Vienna along with a friend touring touring tombs of the righteous that are buried here in Europe. And he's touring these tombs of the righteous. And I said to him, have you been to, to Marat HaMachpelah? So he was like, uh, yeah, I think I was there once maybe. And I'm like, so you're, you're touring around Europe to the tombs of a righteous, but you don't come to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? And uh, that was definitely one point that was, that was this like strange point. And, and yet another point is he said to me, why, do you always, why are you guys always fighting with the Arabs? That's your whole thing is fighting with the Arabs. That's another real point of contention for the, the ultra-Orthodox. They don't, they don't, they're not in there, you know, they'll fight with the state endlessly, the state of Israel, but they don't want to fight with the bad guys. They don't get that. They don't get that mode. And again, it's a part of a different speed. We're like a div- we're running at different speeds. Like yeah, you have a bicycle. Well, which gear are you at? And they're just at a totally different gear, like on the other side of the spectrum. And so we had a long discussion, and then I came back home, and, and I saw that that fight on the news, and that was pretty intense. Um, let's go on just for a second to actually bring it into the Torah portion itself. Now the Torah portion uh, actually deals with a, with an issue which impacts uh, this whole question. And the this whole Torah portion, <clears throat> which is called Re'eh, which is in the book of Deuteronomy, um, in its chapter 11, verse 26, guess what this Torah portion is all about? Just to kind of get in between my uh, being here in Vienna with the, in the Satmar Synagogue, 
in the, the video that I saw on TV, what gets right in the middle of that, which is, it's Parshat Re'eh. And what does Parshat Re'eh ask of us? What is its main single message? Can you, can you boil it down to one word? Can you boil it down with the whole Torah portion? And it's a long one. It's a long Torah portion. There's one theme running throughout the whole Torah portion. It's very simple. It's the temple. The temple. The temple. First, it's the tabernacle, and then the temple, but it served God in a central place, a place that will be known to you later. That place is going to be Jerusalem. Serve God in Jerusalem on a national level. And that's what's, to me, really kind of the answer of what we're talking about. There's a tension here between the ultra-Orthodox camp, which is saying, what's their one word? They have a one word, and their word is Torah. Torah, Torah, Torah. Learn God's will. Do mitzvot. Torah, Torah, Torah. What is the religious Zionist and, and also the secular state? What is, what is it saying? What is its one word? Nationalism. Jewish people unite. Come back to our land. Build up our land. Have Jewish strength. Serve God as a nation. What is the middle ground between nationalism and Torah? Where do those things collide? They collide in the temple. They come together in the temple. They harmonize and synthesize in the temple, right? On the one hand, it's about service of God. It's Tyra. But on the other hand, it's a national service of God, right? It's a national service of God where you have a Kohen Gadol who will do things for the nation and where the nation will come at certain times together. Not into their small shuls and small uh, temples, but into the temple, right? Come together. Come together. So, so that is the operative theme of this whole Torah portion. And maybe that is the solution to the quandary, to the tension between the ultra-Orthodox and the Galut and, uh, and the Torah and uh, this time that we're living in, which is the temple. And there's one key verse, one key verse, which is so beautiful. By the way, I just want to take a pause for a second and just tell you, I'm just walking around here in Vienna <laughs> as, I'm, as, I'm, as I'm talking to you. And I, 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 I want to cry. And I'm not, I, you know, I can't even, there's no words exactly. I just know that so much, so much of our, of our people's story is here. And, and there's so much pain on the one hand, some pain, tremendous pain. And on the other hand, also tremendous beauty. And Vienna is also a place where another thing flourished, which is Jewish genius. Not specifically the Torah genius. I don't remember that it's known as a great Torah town. But the other side of the Jewish genius, of music, of creativity, of captains of industry, uh, of philosophy, of psychology, of Zionism, it was also here in Vienna. Vienna and so and so I feel it all it's just very it's all so mushed up and I'm walking around in just such a Viennese type scene and um, I, I want to also take a pause and uh, and plug something which is that I was turned on to Vienna uh, from a one movie which if you've been listening to my show for a long time you know that I've done a few shows on this topic and that is a woman called uh, Woman in Gold or Lady in Gold. I don't remember. One is the book called Woman in Gold. One is the movie called Lady in Gold. I don't remember. 
Uh, but Woman in Gold or Lady in Gold, and it's an incredible movie about uh, the Klimt paint, a Klimt painting, one of the great Austrian artists, Klimt, one of the great Viennese uh, uh, artists, who um, is a national treasure here in, in Austria, but at the same time was owned by a Jewish family, and this painting was expropriated. And not only was it owned, but it was basically uh, uh, drawn. It was it was it was basically painted at a request of of a at a payment and request of a Jewish patron. So it was really it was like it was it wasn't just purchased by Jews. It was it was it was commissioned by Jews, and this painting was uh, taken um, uh, by the uh, by the Nazis, expropriated. And then the story of how it returned back to its original owner and went through the American Supreme Court and through uh, many phases. The movie is amazing. And I even, to this day, am in touch with the uh, hero of the story, which is this young lawyer who became very famous. His name is Randall Schoenberg. And he's the grandson of uh, the uh, famous composer Arthur Schoenberg. And I even wrote to Randall and said to him, I'm here in Vienna. What should I see? And it's... um. It's very, very. Uh, it's it's it's. Um, let's put it this way. Uh, like my family's not from here, and I didn't really have a connection to this place. But the movie moved me, and I highly recommend it for all of you. I highly recommend it for everybody. And then to to be here and to see how accurate uh, that movie represented the spirit and soul of this town, uh, just fabulous. Just really fabulous. Anyway, uh, end of segue, and back to the Torah portion. There is a there is a key phrase in the Torah portion. It's all about this phrase. It's all about it, okay? And, and the verse is in chapter 12, uh, verse 5. It is, it is but for the place that God will choose. Mikol shivtechem from all from amongst all your tribes lasum et shmosham to put his name there. Leshichno tidrashu. You should let's let's see how they translate it. You should um, seek out his presence. Ubata shama and you should come there. Leshichno tidrashu uvatem shama. You have to seek out. Now, the word lidrosh is an amazing word, right? A rabbi will give a drasha. But in Hebrew, the word drisha is a demand. A beit midrash is where you, 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 it's a study hall, but it's where you, in one sense, you demand, you demand something, but on the other hand, you also solve something or, 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 or look into something and you do a, a, you do a, so on the one hand, you can say in Hebrew, you could say drishach tashlum, which means a, a demand of payment. But on the other hand is like lidrosh velachkor means to like investigate, right? I, I have a, one of my favorite phrases is on the Musaf of holidays. It says, it says, um, hidaresh lano. Good God, oh, oh, good one, good of goods, Hidaresh Lano, be reveal yourself to us. Let our let us be able to find you. Um, meaning to say, let us give us the strength to seek you and find you. Give us, give us, give us the, give us Hidaresh Lano. Let us find you, but not in an easy way. You know, let us let us kind of seek you out, but let it, but let yourself be found, and that bespeaks of what God is. And I'll tell you something about God, which a lot of times people don't talk about. He's invisible. He's invisible. 
And that's just one of his qualities is that he's invisible, right? But a, a Jew and a lover of God, he's able to lidrosh at Hashem. He's able to, to seek out and find Hashem. That means that for his resting place, you shall demand it. You shall seek it out. You shall try to find it. And that's exactly what we have to do with the temple. That's what David did. David sought out the place which was Abraham's um, where he, where he sacrificed the Akeda, the, the binding where he almost sacrificed Isaac. So that was a special place. It was known, but it got lost. But guess what? Samuel and David, they sought it out. You should, you should seek out his place, his resting place. But listen to the word shichno. It's also his presence, the place where he wants to rest his presence. And you should come there. And this is true about, about the Temple Mount, and it's true about Jerusalem, and it's true about the land of Israel. Yes, we need to seek out the resting place of God. And that is the big difference between the period that we used to be in and the period that we're in now. We're in a period of seeking Him out. We have to, be, we have to understand that, that we're in that period of seeking Him out and giving Him a resting place, the land of Israel. No longer is God's presence going to be on the run. It's not going to be in transit. It's going to have a, a resting place for His presence. Right? A place where he can be glorified, not spread out throughout the world. And there's a beauty to the galut. And there's a beauty and a truth to God being here, there, and everywhere. There's a beauty and a truth to the last 2,000 years of the Jewish people gathering sparks, sharing sparks throughout the world. But that is not the time anymore. The Jews of Vienna, they are not... They have, maybe, they have some cleanup duty or some end duty, but that's not where the big sparks are happening. That's not where Torah is happening. That's not where great Jewish knowledge is happening. It's not where great Jewish music is being written. No, no, no. That's happening now in the land of Israel because there was a group of people, rabbis and, and, and non-type rabbis, that they sought out the resting place. A resting place for the Jewish people and a resting place for God's glory. For God's for God's presence, the shichnoti drushu batem shama, and I was uh, I, I was standing in line to go to the Temple Mount, and an ultra orthodox Jew was yelling at the group, and he said, uh, you know, what are you guys doing here, this and that, and I said to him, don't you know the verse, the shichnoti drushu batem shama? That's what the Torah says. You gotta you gotta seek out his place and go there, and he was. He he was definitely like 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 just like like taken aback. I just I just whipped out this one verse. He got to seek out his resting place and go there and go there. And he said to me, "Well, that's not exactly what the Mefarshim say." I said to him, "Don't hear the words of the Lord. Hear what he's saying to you, and and it is what it means." And so that was a, that was a big moment. And so here I think is the solution between the tension. The solution is we've got to have Torah. But we've got to have nationalism, and it comes together in the temple. Okay, and that's what we have to do. And, and notice, by the way, it does not say, and here, and here uh, I, I may differ with some of my beloved friends and colleagues, it doesn't say, now yearn for Mashiach to take care of it all. What it says is that we have to do it. I'm, I'm all for Mashiach, but I think that, that as long as we never use the Mashiach aspect as a crutch to not do our duty, okay? 
uh, and we, we have to we have to act and we have to do as much as we can whatever we can and we have to personally be able to say to God at the end of times you know yes we fulfill this verse and interestingly enough about this word Tidrashu that I was saying so much about before the word re- reappears in the Torah and it says basically uh, don't follow the Gentiles ways uh, after they get destroyed don't and, and don't seek out their God saying, how do they serve idolatry? You got to seek out the Shikhnoti Drashu. You got you to seek out God's resting place. Don't do the other kind of Drisha. Don't yearn and search out and research and, and try to mimic the ways of idolatry uh, of, of previous times. That's not what you have to do. And uh, so that's an important that's an important thought about that word. Lidrosh uh, and my favorite that Musaf phrase, Hidaresh Lano, Tovu Lano. Oh, good God, please, please let us search you out and find you. Yes, you are invisible, but you also reveal yourself in everything. That's that's the that's the other part. Maybe I didn't say it before. That's the other part that I, that I want to kind of finish up there, which is, yes, God is invisible, and yet He is. It, it's it, it, He's not invisible. He's everywhere. Meaning to say, everything you look at is God. Uh, maybe for that, I want to give you one parable. There's an old uh, Sephardic custom that when you uh, make Kiddush, and some people say in Havdalah, uh, you look down into the cup, and if you see a fish, if you see a fish inside your Kiddush cup, inside your wine, it means it's the time of redemption. So look for a fish. Okay, you never heard that probably, but it's a, it's an old kind of custom. Look look for the fish. And maybe it's swimming in there, and that means that it's like, you know, like think of it like a golden fish. It's like and maybe and maybe that means that that uh, and, and if you see that fish and maybe if you see that fish, it is indeed the time of of Geula. So one time I'm looking down into my cup looking for the fish. And I'm looking down to the cup and the cup was filled to the top and I noticed, I realized something that scared me, which is when the cup was filled to the top, it was like all like black on the top, and you say the wine, right, or, or deep red, whatever. I realized that's the pupil of the fish. The eye of the fish is looking at me, and the, the rest of the space is the fish. All around me is the fish. The fish is huge. It's staring right back at me. It's just that I'm looking for the little fish, but I didn't realize that it was the eye of the fish. The eye of the fish, and there's a giant whale in the room. What is this? What am I? What is Isha saying? And what Isha is saying is that uh, you can look for a small fish, but then open up and see that we're living in a time of a great giant fish. The great giant Gaula is staring right back at us. It's staring right back at us right now. It's gigantic. It's so humongous. I kept saying that to the to these ultra orthodox kids that I was uh, debating with yesterday. I said to them, "You guys keep getting stuck on small things. I'm talking to you about the redemption of the Jewish people, and you're talking to me about if we should go to the army or not go to the army. And all I'm talking to you about something so much bigger. Look at the big whale in the room. Don't look for a little tiny fish. It's not the time of tiny fish anymore. It's time of giant fish. And actually, I think I think I made some headway with them." Anyway, let's just do, uh, uh, with your permission, let's just do one more uh, phrase for this Torah portion, which I think is so, so beautiful. And before I do that phrase, I want to ask you a question. 
What are the names of the Jewish people? What are the names of the Jewish people? I submit to you that really there are three names of the Jewish people, and they are Hebrew, Ivri, right? Hebrew, Yehudi, Jewish, and Israeli, Israel, which is Israel. What do these three names stand for? What are they different? Well, here's one explanation. Our uh, hardware as Jewish people, a person born of a Jewish mother, the hardware is that we're Hebrews. That's our ethnicity. We're of the Hebrew ethnicity. We're Hebrew, we're Semites. Uh, but when I say Hebrew, I'm talking about the, the hardware of a Jew. When a Jew is alone by himself on an island, and let's say he doesn't know one stitch of Judaism, he's still a Hebrew person. He or she is a, is a Hebrew person. What is Jewish? Jewish is all of our uh, culture, all of our knowledge. That's our software. Yiddishkeit, Judaism. I'm Jewish because I do Jewish things, right? And what does that mean? That means it's our Torah, it's our uh, customs, it's our foods, uh, it, it's, 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 our, it's our ways and means, right? It's the way we do it. It's the way we know how to do it. It's what we've passed down through the generation. It's the Seder night. It's, it's the Brit Milah. It's, it's our burial. That's Yiddishkeit. It's Judaism. And what's Israel? Israel is our political configuration, our tribal configuration. When we are united, we are Israel. Our nation is called Israel. Together, we are Israel. Our Voltron, when we get it all together, all those different lions, the 12 lions, when they form that giant Voltron, that's called Israel. That's our super name. That's our super identity when we're together. But it's a p political, tribal configuration. So Hebrew is the body. Uh, uh, Yiddishkeit Judaism is the knowledge and the, and the, and the uh, behavior and the, 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 the ways of being Jewish, and it's the Torah and all of our software. And Israel is our political configuration when we're all together. Now check out this verse, which is verse 14, excuse me, chapter 14, uh, verse 1. It says like this, Banim atem Hashem You are children to Hashem your God. Lotid go to do. Do not cut yourselves. Do not make a bold spot between your eyes for a dead person. Don't make a bold spot between your eyes. Don't, don't tear out your head for the dead. Why? You are a holy people unto Hashem your God. And Hashem has chosen you to be for Him a nation. Excuse me, to be a holy, special nation, a chosen nation, an able nation. Mikol Hamim, from all the other nations, Asher al He has chosen you to be a separate nation for Him, an, a capable nation for Him from all the other nations on the face of the earth. Now, let's plug in the formula that I just said before about the three names. Check this out. Banim Atem Hashem You are children to Hashem your God. Children. You have a hardware. That's because you're Hebrews. There's an element of you are children unto God. You're, you're just a child, right? You're, you're born, but you're born without all the software, without, without all the knowledge. You're a child unto God. That's what I mean when I say Hebrew. So you're children unto God. And it says there, it says, don't uh, uh, tear out hair, basically, between your eyes for the dead, which means that, that you are children unto God, not children unto uh, just uh, flesh, uh, God knows your spirit and your, and your body. He's given it to you. 
And if, if we die, we have a we have a share in in God above. So we're not, we can't allow ourselves to get too uh, ensconced in this worldliness. We have to always be you know be be one step in you know connected to the other world, to the ethereal world, and not to be too brokenhearted over over the dead. But in any case, you are children unto God. That means you are you have a, a hardware of of uh, being born. The next part, Ki am Hashem You are a holy people unto Hashem your God. Ubecha bachar. Okay, and he chose you, so you're holy. What does holy mean? That's the knowledge. That's the Torah. How are we holy? How are we holy? Are we holy just because Jews are holy? No. Jews are not just holy because they're just holy. They're not just like a, a better folks just because they're, or special folks just because of who they are. Maybe there's an element of that, but the, but, but the essential element is you have to keep the Torah. That's what makes you holy. Your Yiddishkeit is what's going to keep you holy. So first, be a Jewish body. And the next thing is be holy. Keep the Torah. Right? You are holy people. That's, that's your Yiddishkeit. That's your Judaism. I've taught you how to be holy. I've given you the Torah. And the last part, it says, Hashem has chosen you to be a holy nation. That's Israel. That's Israel. Mikol Hamim from all the nations, but also for all the other nations. Yes, you're a Hebrew person following Yiddishkeit in the land of Israel. That's called Yisrael. And that's why, and I bring it all back now. I bring it all the way back to the beginning. Sometimes people say to me, Yishai, the battle in Israel is between the Jews, people who believe in Torah, and the Israelis. That's the people who believe in the, in the, you know, the nation state, and, uh, and of course, they say, Yishai, what are you? Are you Jew or Israeli? Meaning to say, don't you prefer God's law to man's law? And I say, that's an interesting discussion, but I completely disagree with the names that you're using to describe this. Because to me, Jew is not a higher name than Israeli. Because to me, a Hebrew person practicing Judaism on the land of Israel is called Yisraeli, Yisrael. Okay, Israel. And that is the highest form. So if you ask me, am I a Jew or an Israeli? I say, my God, we were Jews for the last 2,000 years. Now give us a chance to be Israeli, to be that full identity, that super identity. I don't want to go back to that. So of course I'm Israeli more than I am Jewish. Because the word Israeli encompasses all that. And that's why, by the way, I also add one more thing. Let's say we have minorities living amongst us. Is there such a thing called an Israeli Arab? I say, no, there is no such a thing as an Israeli Arab. There's an Arab with Israeli citizenship. Okay, but Israeli? No, no, that, that's the word I can't give you. You can't be Israeli. You could be a citizen of the state of Israel. You can be an Israeli. It can be a lot of things. There's a lot of ways to say it, but I'm not going to give you that name Israeli. Just like, just like a Jew living in Arab lands isn't really an Arab. Okay, it's not. It's it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an ethnic, uh, religious, uh, cultural identification, and it's not to be given away, and it can't be given away to anybody else. There is no Israeli Arab. There's no Israeli other any other minorities. Sure, they have the citizenship of the state of Israel, and I'm not taking that away from them. Okay, as long as they, of course they don't act seditiously. In any case, my friends, those are some of the thoughts uh, about the tension uh, between exile and redemption, and we're in that moment. We're in that moment. We're in that moment between exile and redemption. We're right somewhere uh, uh, in the middle or maybe uh, already a good long way towards uh, full redemption. And we have to pray and we have to act for 
uh, uh, for that redemptive period. I think the last show I said I don't even like the word redemption so much. I don't understand that word so much. I even the word geula. I just sometimes it's it's too it becomes too. Uh, too ethereal and too ephemeral and I don't understand it exactly we have to we have we know what we have to do we have to work on Shivat Zion the return to Zion we have to bring more Judaism Yiddishkeit to to Am Israel to the nation of Israel and we have to become more of a light unto the nations and that's and that's going to come as well right the the, the temple is not just our personal service of God it is a rectification uh, for the whole world the light of God see God is going to become a lot less invisible in the end of time, right? A lot less invisible. That doesn't mean, by the way, that he is going to become less invisible. It just means that our eyes will be able to see him because he's actually everywhere. That great fish is everywhere. I want to thank all of you out there for being with me. Uh, I miss you. I miss Eretz Yisrael. I miss uh, beloved Malka. I miss uh, Rabbi Mike Foyer. And I'd love to hear from you. So write me an email, yishai at thelandofisrael.com. And I want to do a shout out to the Jewish community of Hebron. Uh, which I love very much, and I have the great honor, the great honor and great privilege to work for Avraham Yitzchak and Yaakov, Sarah, uh, Rivka, and Leah, or as I prefer to say, Avraham and Sarah, Yitzchak and Rivka, Yaakov, and Leah. And I have a great merit to to urge you, to help you come to uh, visit Hebron. So please do come visit Hebron. Check out hebronfund.org. We have fabulous, fabulous uh, tours uh, with the great Rabbi Simcha Hachbaum. So please uh, visit us, hebronfund.org. Uh, and I want to thank also the Land of Israel Network, which is just such a fabulous network. That's what it is. It's a network. It's a network of people. It's a network of, of, of podcasts. And it's a network of uh, great light uh, from the Land of Israel. So that's the Land of Israel Network, thelandofisrael.com. Thank you very much to Ari and Jeremy uh, for starting this network. And I also want to... Uh, push and promote and and put in your mind the idea that this is the time now that we're just about to enter Elul this month of Anila Dodiva Dodili I want to be closer to you my beloved God and God wants to be closer to us it's time for you to put on that tailored bite for your children uh, bite bite for yourselves um, and and connect to this amazing mitzvah of uh, of a different period a different time the big fish period right so please check out Tchelet T-E-K-H-E-L-E-T uh, come to that site, get the blue string, get, be a true blue Jew, uh, and really connect to that as well. Connect to this period because that's revelation of God's secret knowledge in our time, which is Tchelet, and it's real. It's serious stuff. That's it, folks. So from Vienna, lots of love, lots of blessings, lots of strength, and let us get together. Let us get together. You know what? There's one more bridge. I, I said that the big bridge between Torah and nationalism is the temple. Uh, but as... Uh, as the great Rabbi Klatsko said, he said, if you put an, an arrow through the most holy, the center of the most holy country in the world, which is the land of Israel, and the center of the holy city, which is Jerusalem, and the center of that, which is the temple, and the center of the heart of the temple is the uh, Holy of Holies, and the heart of the heart of the Holy of Holies, uh, if you put an arrow through it, if you put a needle through it, you'll be right in between two cherubs two cherubs uh, that really show the love between God and Israel and really Israel and Israel Israel and Israel as well and so the other bridge between all these tensions is simple plain old love 
We have to have a simple faith and love of God. We have to have a simple faith and love of Am Yisrael. That is the great healer. All right, folks, so lots of love from Vienna, and we'll see you, Be'eretz Yisrael, in the land of Israel next week, Bezrat Hashem. God bless you. Stay tuned. Stay strong. Stay connected. Stay part of the story wherever you are. Roar up to God and say, I see you, God. I see you everywhere I go. Lots of love, blessings, and shalom. Torah thoughts and inspiration from the heartland of Israel. Tune in every week to the Soul of Israel with Rabbi Shlomo Katz on the Land of Israel Network at thelandofisrael.com.